I'm a homosexual in 1945. I meet men who find me attractive and have good sexual encounters, but nothing more. It's the TMI Project Podcast. A series of stories about the too much information parts of ourselves we usually leave out because we're too ashamed or embarrassed. This is season four, Pride Stories. You're Julie Novak, you're a lesbian. And you're Blake File, and you're a gay. That is correct. This season, we're going to profile some of the most incredible LGBTQIA storytellers and follow their narratives right up until the moment they walk on stage and read their monologues live in front of an audience. Before we get started, just want to let you know that as the TMI implies, some of this content might be too much information for some listeners. If you or someone you know is struggling, there is always help 24-7 at thetrevorproject.org. And remember, your support keeps our content free and accessible to everyone who wants to listen, gay or otherwise. So if you like what you hear and you're able to chip in, thank you. You can do so at tmiproject.org, where you can also find some fabulous merch. Yes, speaking of which, this season is brought to you by Mr. Julie Tees. And you guessed it, I'm Mr. Julie, your co-host and the designer of custom queer AF t-shirts. Don't just say gay. Scream it out loud with Mr. Julie Tees. A portion of our proceeds from all t-shirt sales will be donated to TMI Project to keep the creation and amplification of queer stories alive. Follow me on Instagram at Mr. Julie Tees and shop your favorite styles at MrJulieTees.com. Now, let's dive in. So, Julie, today we are going to be talking about two elders who have helped pave the way for this generation of queerbies. Queer history is so important. A lot of it has been oral histories because marginalized folks, we get our histories erased from books. So storytelling is so important to our community to really understand what different folks went through. Folks like Pat Meeker and Ralph Gano, who share parallel stories of coming into their identities in a time way before rainbow flags and rainbow capitalism and corporate pride sponsorship. Yeah. I know that there's a lot of disconnect between different generations, but I do see elders like Pat and Ralph and I find their stories are kind of like the bedtime stories that I wanted as a kid. These are my spiritual ancestors and I am unbelievably indebted to them. And these stories are very much beacons of hope. And they remind me, but also younger generations, hey, look, if we were able to get through this catastrophic time for the queer community, then you absolutely can too. I think you make a really good point when you talk about a disconnect between different generations within the LGBTQIA plus community, especially the younger folks calling out the older folks on their use of pronouns or their not using the word queer, all these different things that can come across as microaggressions. There's so much to learn from one another. And young people can listen with an open mind in terms of what some of the traumas are that these older queer folks face that have made them maybe reluctant to see a new generation of queer folks 
who are less about the binary when it was so important for them to claim clearly a gay or lesbian status. It wasn't until 1973 that homosexuality was removed from the DSMV as a mental disorder. It was illegal when Ralph was a young person. And if you were religious, it was considered a sin. And a lot of those things are still happening now. I mean, it's... Dude, it was illegal when I was born. It was formally decriminalized when I was 13 years old. Yeah, it was was only 18 years ago, right? It was formally decriminalized in the United States. Yep. Ralph was born in 1931 and recently passed away in 2021. Pat and Ralph are survivors. It's easy to get caught in the discrepancies between generations, but they are claiming their identities proudly on the TMI Project stage by sharing their stories after living their lives buried. And I mean, that's just it to me. I can't fathom living an entire life buried. Ralph Gano to share his story and to want to connect, even when things got hard and then going on because of choosing himself to like live a really big life, find this amazing partner and be rooted in so much community here in the Hudson Valley area. The other fun thing that I love about Ralph Gano is if you Google his name, he was one of the first same sex couples to get married back when they legalized gay marriage and the New York Times did a huge write up about him and his husband. So if you just Google Ralph, G-O-N-E-A-U, we'll put some stuff in the show notes of this episode. I did not know that. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, here is the darling Ralph Gano who read his story in Kingston, New York in 2016. Hi, I'm Ralph. Hey, Ralph. And I better put the cards right side up. I'm an 85-year-old, born in 1931. In my younger years, I'm a caretaker. I don't have adults to guide me. I do have a best friend. He is a classmate and a neighbor. One day after school, when I am 14 years old, And he speaks to me on the bus ride home. He says, meet me at the golf course. He and I know we are both different, but we don't know what the hell we are. I meet him in the green, and he says, guess what? Guess what they call us? Fairies. I'm thrilled. I never had a title before. (laughs) The only title I have is a Catholic, which fills me with guilt and shame. Fairies is a welcomed label. And I skipped my way across the golf course. At last, I got a name, heading for home. However, it doesn't take long for my religious teachings to strip me of my joy and make me feel ashamed for who I am. I'm a homosexual in 1945. I abandon religion and think suicide seems like the best solution. 
become an alcoholic. I meet men who find me attractive and have good sexual encounters, but nothing more. In my late 30s, I realized that my life isn't working in a healthy, emotional way. I still think about suicide and realize that I'd never learned any self-care growing up. It's then that I realize my search for a lover, home, and happiness is not based on reality. I decide to rethink who I find attractive and start dating people who find me attractive. That is when I find my Richard. We date, have sexual relations. During the time of our courtship, we spend many weekends together at his weekend home here in Woodstock. We get to know each other and I find I'm very comfortable. My sexual attraction to him is not my usual fantasy, but our interest and level of comfort with one another are wonderful. We get to know each other and find we have many mutual interests. Our social life on the weekend is terrific. I am very impressed with the gay life in Woodstock. There are many gay couples and singles who have homes that are cared for with pride. There are pool parties and birthdays and anniversary celebrations. Our evenings are spent at the townhouse, which is right where the entrance to Woodstock begins, no longer in existence. We have a great time in these, those days. But I can tell you, the consumption of alcohol is very much a part of the gay scene. Dick expresses our relationship to be more than committed. When I move to Woodstock, I decide to be open to anyone knowing or suspecting I'm a homosexual. As a result, Woodstock is now where I feel at home I volunteer on the library board and the fire and the rescue squad and Meals on Wheels and for many other groups. It's not until age 50 that I realize I can't stop drinking. I'm very successful. I have a home, a life partner, my own business, and I'm living in the forest surrounded by wildlife. On the outside, everything looked grand. But Dick is my drinking partner, and I'm afraid if I don't stop drinking, our relationship will crumble. Luckily, a casual comment brings me into AA. I find my peers and am instantly committed. It turns out that Dick doesn't have a drinking problem like I do and can let it go easily. We both stop him on his own, and me with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's over 35 years ago, and I've not had a drink since. Dick and I got married in 2011, live in Woodstock full time. We have dogs and cats and feed all of the wild animals on our land. 
I have the privilege of becoming a spiritual human being. My caretaking changes to caregiving. Slowly, I learn to love myself as a pretty decent and caring human being. Dick and I spent 40 years together. I lost him three years ago to Alzheimer's, and it was a sad and blessed ending. Thank you. We are unbelievably honored to have Ralph's story as part of our collection because it means his legacy can live on in some small way. Yes, just so important. And another great storyteller is coming up. Pat Meeker, who came out as a lesbian in the 1970s after the Stonewall Rebellion gave her the courage to stage a revolution in her own life. And so here's a little fun fact that I didn't know, and I don't know if a lot of you know, that in, so in 1970, at the one-year anniversary of the Stonewall Riots, there was an event and people took to the streets of New York City in commemoration of Stonewall. And that march was called the Christopher Street Liberation Day, which is now considered the country's first gay pride parade. Yeah, it's one thing to know the history. It's another to hear how that history actually impacted real people like Pat. So here's Pat telling her story about how attending an all-female dance at Columbia University in 1970 changed the course of her life forever. In 1964, when I'm a 17-year-old freshman at Bellevue Hospital School of Nursing, a group of us go to a dance that I own a college in New Rochelle. A boy named Harry walks over to me. He has red hair, a fair complexion, and horn-rimmed glasses. I like his nerdy Irish looks. We exchange, <laughs> we exchange phone numbers, and he becomes my first boyfriend. But in 1967, when I hear about an all-female dance at Columbia University, I'm intrigued, even though in my head, a dance is just for boys and girls. Of course, I can't tell anyone I'm going. My father is homophobic and violent. You never know what is going to cause him to fly into a rage and smack you. My mother is terrified of him. She's always under his thumb. When I get to the campus, I walk around for 15 minutes in the dark before I wake up the courage to go in. Out of nowhere, this woman asks me to dance. No, thank you, I say kindly, kindly kind of rudely, <laughs> rather. It wasn't that way. She walks away. I want to apologize, but it's overkill. I leave and take the downtown train, and the car fills up with women from the dance. They are standing on the seats laughing and hosting a silly contest for Ms. Subway. It's the most fun I have all night. Harry and I move in together in 1968. He is going to dental school, and I'm an operating room nurse. My nursing duties are suffocating for me, emotionally and intellectually. In my heart, I'm a scientist. We get married in 1969, the same year as the Stonewall riots. People are out on the streets holding signs that read, healthy to be homo. It's like the Berlin Wall coming down and it really makes an impression on me. For the first time, I feel that being gay is something that I don't have to explain or justify. 
I have an abortion in 1973, a few months after Roe v. Wade is decided. There are eight women in the waiting room, a nice place, and we were all sharing stories together. It's jubilant, like a spontaneous quasi-consciousness-raising group. When each woman comes back from her procedure, we clap for her to celebrate and support her. Harry and I have been together since we were teenagers, and we both know we are interested in other people. I keep looking at him and thinking, this isn't who I want to walk the red carpet with at the Academy Awards. <laughs> I begin experimenting. My first time is with a gay man. <laughs> we post ads in the paper and then exchange letters, the 1970s version of Tinder, and go, and go to a gay march together. He's a photographer and he knows a lot of people, but I'm not attracted to him. When we are in bed together, he looks ugly to me. I think, what am I doing here? <laughs> I am the daughter of a violent man who I pretend to like, a scientist pretending to be a nurse, a lesbian pretending to be a dentist's wife. It's time to stop pretending. According to astrology, every 28 years, the planet Saturn turns to the same position as when you were born. It's a time of transition when a person crosses into a new stage of life. On my 28th birthday, I come out as a lesbian. After 10 years of marriage, Harry and I part as friends. I get in the car, I have just learned to drive and pray that I can successfully shift the 100 miles from New Jersey to Woodstock, where I am invited into a community of people who are embracing life as they really are. A few months later, I meet Dee. She's fearless and reckless. She moves in with me and teaches me to cut trees for firewood, do plumbing, fix the car. We are living on the edge with no money. I haven't been in touch with my parents much since I came out and moved to Woodstock. But when my mother is diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, I know from my medical training that it is fatal. I take D and we go to visit. We borrow a car because I don't want to show up in our beat up pickup truck. And in the hospital room, my mother beckons me and whispers, when are you and Harry getting back together? Later, I call my father. He's drunk. He says, you are disgusting. I hang up on him. If I was at home, I would have no place to go, but I'm safe. I don't have to be afraid of him anymore. A few months later, I get a message from Harry that my mother is dead. Dee and I and Harry go to the funeral together. My father gives me dagger eyes from across the room, but I know he can't hit me in public. It's a Catholic service, and I feel a spiritual recognition of what has happened. I am out there for respect for her. Life rolls on. Dee moves out after a year, and Harry marries a wonderful woman. I am in another relationship for 18 years, but that ends. Then one day, a friend brings over to my tiny apartment in Woodstock, a woman. Her name is Catherine, and she makes me nervous. <laughs> She stands me up on our first date and I write her off, but it turns out her car broke down on the way to meet me. We meet for coffee and then dinner, and by the third time I see her, I know this is the woman I want to walk the red carpet with at the Academy Awards. I have felt that way for the last 19 years. Sometimes Catherine still accidentally introduces me as her friend Pat. We just laugh. We've seen a lot of change towards LGBTQ people in our lifetimes, and old habits die hard. But Stonewall gave me the courage to stage a revolution in my life, and today I am part of a culture that reflects who I am. I am safe, and I am strong, and amen.
A very special thanks to Ralph and Pat for sharing their stories with us. For the queer youth who are currently under attack by elected government officials, I want to say this publicly to Ron DeSantis, gay, 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 gay. And to everyone who is being subjected to this disgusting display of hatred and discrimination, young queer folks, we see you. That's why we're doing this season and we're here for you. And we want you to know, as Ralph and Pat want you to know, if they can get through the homophobia of the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s and beyond, we know that you can too. Yes. And next up is Wendy Sharp, who illustrates that none of us have one singular coming out story. We have to come out over and over again. Tune in to hear about the vastly different responses Wendy receives from their mother and father. I'm Blake the Gay. And I'm Julie the Lesbian. TMI Project is available to offer true storytelling workshops and performances for your school or workplace. This episode of season four of the TMI Project podcast, Pride Stories, was produced in partnership with Radio Kingston. It was edited and produced by Eva Tenuto and mixed by Stevie Mans. Our theme song is Secrets by Edison Woods. Our operations and programs manager is you, Blake Five. That's right. And our marketing and digital coordinator is Laura Marie Ruoco. Our administrative assistant is Elijah Jackson. Our graphic designer is Lauren Gill. And our workshop leaders are Perla Aora, Capely Kalnick, Haley Downs, Rain Grayson, Ray Lipkin, Dara Lurie, Micah, Eva Tenuto, you, Julie Novak, and me, Blake Files. To learn more, support our work, and find a special writing prompt so you can start telling your own pride story, visit tmiproject.org forward slash podcast. Is that a secret you're keeping?